It's the TEH podcast episode number 175. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. So, yeah, you have an interesting topic, a controversial topic, even <laughs> I would say highly controversial topic oh, to start. Extremely. With. <laughs> I don't I don't even know if I want to bring it up. I don't um, know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've just got, you know, I try to keep notes about like what what seems to be on people's minds and one of the things that's on Mac users minds, of course, is when will the iPhone have USB-C? And, you know, the idea is, of course, the iPhone has proprietary connector type on the bottom is for the last 11 some years has been what's called the lightning connector, lightning Don't port, lightning cable. It no, it's well, changing the name or. No, I the, the lightning... I thought the connector itself changed periodically. But okay. No, the... okay, good. It, it, originally there was something It was the 30 pin dock port you know that was this wide thing mm-hmm. it was for the first few models of the iphone then they changed the lightning the much smaller lightning one mm-hmm. and um which was a great improvement over usba you could see why they didn't want to use a usba it's huge sure, compared yeah, to like yeah, yeah. what you want on your phone but in C didn't exist yet so uh, apple came up with this lightning port really nice compact still smaller than C, or about the same size um and they used it for their iPhones. They used it for iPads. They used it a variety of other places, like the charging port on AirPods, the charging port on Mac keyboards, um, all use Lightning. And uh, for years now, people have been saying, well, when's Apple going to use move to USB-C? USB-C is like this, you know, the universal, you know, everybody's going to it, uh, you know, all of that. And... And they have indeed moved all the iPads to USB-C. They've also used moved all Macs to, from USB-A to USB-C, although you can still find some USB-A ports. Like I have a couple on the back of my Mac Studio. Um, USB-A ports, of course, tell you that they could basically only be used for USB, whereas the USB-C ports are actually Thunderbolt ports that can be used for Thunderbolt, USB, DisplayPort, right. power, right. Right. you know, hook a blender to it, it you know, all that. <laughs> It could, it could do almost, you know, I mean, it, IOT it, blender. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it, and you know, most importantly, because Thunderbolt over USB, USB is, is, is a connection, whereas Thunderbolt is almost the equivalent to a card slot. You know, you could hook peripherals to it that actually interact directly with the uh, processing chips as you would a card in an old fashioned PC, you know, open it up, slip a card into a slot. Whereas USB-C is much more the regular connection. It's connected by a cable. It's communicating and talking with the computer. But the thing is, on the iPhones, we still don't have USB-C. We have Lightning. And a lot of people are like, when are they going to finally switch to USB-C? What I've been saying for years to people like that is, why does it even matter? And the reason is, is because so much, almost everything can be done wirelessly now. For instance, I charge my iPhone and have for a couple of years now wirelessly. Mm-hmm. I've got the MagSafe one now, so it's neat. It clicks right to the back. I just did it right now. You can't see, but you may have heard that sound. <laughs> it clicked to the, the magnetic thing. But even before this, I had ones that weren't magnetic. So charging didn't need the, the port. I switched to AirPods for almost five years ago, wireless. And a lot of people before that were, even were using Bluetooth. So for headphones, earphones, I don't need the port. Um, I do need the port when I'm in my car, but I, at this point, have actually rented cars that I don't need it because it's AirPlay, uh, not AirPlay, a CarPlay over Bluetooth. 
So cars are moving towards, yeah, you can connect. Put a, put a pin in oh, that one because I want to come back to that. Okay. So, um, so basically everything uh, average user needs, they don't need to use the port at all, which actually has led a few people to say, is Apple going to come out with a portless iPhone at some point? Um, there are a couple things you do need the port for. One of them, um, well, you do kind of need it for file transfer if you want to transfer files or do old-fashioned manual syncing, but you do have Wi-Fi as an option for that. Mm -hmm. So not really. But if you're a developer and you're developing apps, you usually connect it by the cable to load the app on. Now, I'm not sure if there's a wireless way to do that now. I've never tried it. I just If I need to test out an app, I just plug it in. Um, and, and then the other thing is there are some pro uses for it for instance i just bought a uh, a microphone adapter that could plug in by lightning to my iphone mm -hmm. um and i could plug in almost any microphone into it so, you know a really nice one and um yeah i could get a wireless microphone but um if i wanted to use a specific microphone i would need this and i you know so it's kind of a pro use not a typical use people would normally need uh you know a any kind of cable for so there's that um and you know so i think USB-C is you know apple has promised or you know one vp of apple has actually said next year's iphones will finally have USB-C, and that will you know that'll be that then we'll have it moving forward of course apple still still sent, uh, tend to sell models a few years old as like you know cheaper options and all of that so mm -hmm. it'll probably be a few years before the product line doesn't have any lightning in it at all. Um, and then, of course, maybe there's all those other devices. Even, you know, my Apple TV remote uses a lightning connector. Um, it's so thin, the remote, that the lightning connector almost like overflows the, uh, well, actually it kind of does overflow the bezel on it. Right. Like the bezels actually cut in, into it because the lightning, you know, is it, just it's thin, but it's not, th you know, thin enough. So USB-C, I guess it's they're, they're really comparable in, in uh, size. So I don't know. But uh, but yeah, you know, you've got you've got a lot of miscellaneous devices. Well, now, those are just cables. It's not a big deal to have like, you know, remember the charging adapters on the outside of the charging adapters. Apple has switched to USB-C already. Like that's the one you get with your iPhone, you get with your iPad, you get with your Mac. It's already USB-C on those charging blocks. So, so you're a little using cable it. is a USB-C connection on one end and lightning at the other. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So they've already done that. It's just so it's just a cable. So as long as you still have a USB-C to lightning cable and you need to charge your, your trackpad or keyboard or remote or AirPods, whatever, you know, you can still charge those. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's... How yeah. much of this this discussion, I know that the discussion has been going on for some time, but if I recall correctly, it came to a head this year because hasn't the European Union passed yeah. a law insisting that all new electronic devices use USB-C? Yes. So that is one of the reasons why um, Apple probably has to switch over to it because of that law. Uh, you know, and it's interesting. I I suspect you're like me. In that you you want USB-C to be the standard. Yes. You know, no problem with it. Love USB-C, big heart, love. But I hate having a legislative body 
dictate that? You know, what's going to happen five years from now when uh, something better comes along? Or what's going to happen right now if Apple says, hey, our, our light iPhone, our new iPhone mini, no port, right? Right. You can do everything wireless and you can charge and we're getting rid of the port. It'll allow us to make our battery a little bit bigger, make the device a little more compact. We, you don't need a port. What's the EU going to say then? They're going to say, no, it's it, got to have USB-C on it. That's going to be... So the, the the all we've really read are the press reports, of course, on the on the law. The nuance there, the devil, if you will, is going to be in the details, right? Yeah. Does it say all devices will have a USB-C port for charging? Or does it say all devices that have a port for charging will yeah. be USB? I mean, it's it's that's you know, wording, semantics, right? Right. Yeah. So and, and now another thing to keep in mind is it wireless can be used for more than just the things I talked about. In fact, the iPads, when you attach a uh, keyboard, keyboard trackpad combo to it, hmm. it's a magnetic connection. And it's actually using that magnetic connection to connect the keyboard and trackpad with data. Right. So it's actually using something besides, it's not a Bluetooth wireless thing going on. It is actually connected and and it's not a port so technically apple could in the future or you know it, the statement i said earlier is like well something comes out that's better right and you think mm -hmm. well what could be better USB-C is so small it's bi-directional it's like are they going to come out with something even tinier it's like well the next better thing i see is being a completely uh portless port <laughs> you know where something <laughs> snaps onto the outside of a device Oh, and right. there's actually no hole. In other words, there's no A, there's no A and B. <laughs> there's no hole. It is just connected to it. And the data transfers, you know, that way. And that I see as being the successor to USB-C at some point. And, you know, we can already see it in various uses, but I think that'll be the, the big thing. And then at that point, then does legislation in the EU, EU, which might be getting old at that point, does it get in the way? And now it's like, you know, hey, grandpa, why do we still have these little holes on the bottom of our phones? Nobody ever uses them. <laughs> well, there's a law and they can't, they have never, never repealed it and all this stuff. Right, right. Um, my, If I were to make a guess as to what will succeed USB-C, the, the USB port has yeah. evolved in two or three separate ways yeah um one that we think of frequently is data transfer speeds right yeah. usb1 usb2 usb3 they all um, incrementally uh increased data transfer speeds often by at least an order of magnitude it was actually mm -hmm. usb-c is amazingly fast compared to the original usb mm -hmm. another is that it has um, increased the uh, I don't want to say charging capacity, although that's true, but the the amount of power that's available on the port. Yeah. In other words, the original USB-A connection, um, you are actually, by the protocol definition, limited to providing a single five volt connection at a maximum of, of half an amp, 500 milliamps. Um, if you remember the old um, hard disks, external hard disks, where they needed more than half a half an amp of power. So they actually yeah. had a cable that branched out into two connectors. <laughs> so you yeah. could pick up half an amp from each of your two uh, uh, 
USB connectors. Anyway, so that's something that's that is has improved dramatically. Um, USB-C includes actually multiple different voltages. So it's not just five volts, but it also includes um, I'm not even sure what the others are, but there are those, they're the connections that allow this, uh, what used to be simply a low power data port uh, to be an actual high power port that can be used to actually fully charge your laptop and keep it running. Mm -hmm. um, my laptop right now, um, all of them actually uh, use USB-C as their power, um, which is con really convenient because of course, if I need an extra USB-C port for something and my battery is full, I unplug the power and I plug in my accessory and I can use it for a while. Um, it just seems like that progression, speed, power, and power, mm -hmm. um, is unlikely to slow down. Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely love the concept of a portless phone or mm -hmm. even tablet. I think that's great, especially given some of the, the things you've described where, you know, if you need a port, well, you clip one on, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but I think that almost by definition, anything you do portless, which will be wireless of some sort, you know, radio of some sort, um, will by definition be slower than the current state-of-the-art wired. Hmm. I could already think of one way to get around that. And that is? Uh, you pair it with Wi-Fi, which is something Apple already does with a lot of connections. A lot of connections are not Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. They're both. Mm -hmm. And Bluetooth is used to establish the connection, mm -hmm. maybe send some critical things over it. And then the Wi-Fi chips on Apple devices for the last several years not only allow the connection to a Wi-Fi network, but at the same time, a Wi-Fi connection directly to another device, which is how AirDrop works and other uh, features uh, like AirPlay mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I could see a clip-on, uh, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe they don't, they're not able to get the kind of speeds they want by just simply, you know, the corner of your device is actually a port. And you just, you know, it magnetically sticks to it. But I could see that connection working with wi-fi mm -hmm. to basically then you know up the that speed something really massive well again massive i mean you know you're, you're limited by radio technology you're limited by you know yeah. whatever the maximum wi-fi speed is even if you um uh, bundle multiple wi-fi connections together which is kind of what i thought where i thought you were going yeah um you know in on frequencies that don't interfere with one another you know, rather than having a single Wi-Fi connection, you somehow manage eight Wi-Fi connections simultaneously between two devices and you've got eight times the speed. That's great. That's awesome. I think that, that's a pretty, you know, those kinds of things are pretty neat. Wired is always going to be faster. <laughs> I get, I mean, right now it's only marginal. So right now, USB 3.2 is 20 gigabits per second. Mm -hmm. And Wi-Fi 6 is 9.6 gigabits per second. So right now, USB uh, 3.2 beats Wi-Fi 6 by a factor of two. Right. So you've got now, I don't know what happens. Like you were saying, you use multiple bands or whatever. And I don't know what other tricks might be up the sleeve of, you know, Wi-Fi in the future. Mm -hmm. Like what the what the engineering possibilities are right. there. 
Um, also, of course, then there's the added speed of actually having the connection, but it's not a, you know, it's not the a port type connection. It's a kind of contact surface connection. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> the, and to be honest, um, it it actually almost falls into where I think five G is right now on the mobile spectrum, and that is five um, G is being um, you know having the the heck marketed out of it. Right, um, you can't turn on the TV without seeing an ad for some carrier's new five G coverage, greatest five G coverage. Mm. You know what? Five G doesn't matter. Where it really doesn't. Um, yeah, it's faster. It's faster than most people need. And I'm wondering if that too becomes part of the equation for these um, connectionless connectors where, um, you know what? It doesn't matter that they're the fastest they could possibly be. What matters is that they're fast enough. Well, yeah, that's true because like just thinking of these speeds, I'm trying to think of going back to what are the actual uses right. like that people have today. And speed only comes into it when you start to think of things like... Um, Oh, that's Siri trying to chime in. Um, the <laughs> the uh, so you think of like using an iPad as a, a high resolution screen connected to say your recording equipment, mm -hmm. and at that point you may say, oh, we you know oh, we need really a lot of bandwidth as much as we can get. Um, so that might be like okay, the iPad Pro has USB C, whereas mm -hmm. the you know iPad Mini or the the cheap iPad. And maybe the iPhones also don't, and they only go to 10 gigabits per second. So you can't right. do that with them, right. but then people wouldn't want to, you know, you would, you would want the, the pro equipment to, to use that. So I don't know, there could be a lot of, I, I think it, I think it's definitely in the future at some point for some Apple devices, at least to be not portless, but have a contact port. I'm, I'm I really sorry. like that idea. I do. And I actually look forward to um, devices that are portless because let's face it, Ports are a weak point, right? Yes. Um, they are a weak point. Not. I always think immediately of um, um, being water resistant, right? Yeah. It's basically a hole in your phone into which you can pour water. <laughs> um, and I realize that you know there are things going on inside the phone that pre prevent that from being as catastrophic as one might think. But nonetheless, um, no port at all is significantly more <laughs> more watertight. Um, the other thing though, is that, um, you know, the fact that you're plugging in and removing and twisting and bending and so forth, whatever it yes. is you're inserting into the port over time, uh, that weakens things. It breaks things. It, it wears things out and or tripping, def def tripping over the cable. I literally had that happen to one of my laptops. My laptop was plugged into, this was a, you know, a Dell with its, you know, its own yeah. custom power thing. But yeah, um, somebody tripped over the power cable and ripped the power connector out of the laptop, um, which was traumatic to say the least. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's, there's that all sorts of, all sorts of positives for not having. Not well, having and also the, I mean, even, I mean, there's so many, when you have something connected like that, how many people have grabbed their iPhone off of a table, forgetting they had plugged it in right. to charge, right. right? And now you're, you're yanking it away. Something's going to give, right? So you have the charger, the cable, or, you know, or hopefully not the, the uh, port on the phone. Um, or it could be the cup of coffee that was, you know, the cable kind of looped around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, lots of, lots of things could go wrong. You know, cables are a good thing. Plus, uh, you know, there's the aesthetic part of it too, going it, towards, you know, fewer funny. and fewer cables. In this house, we currently have exactly one device that is charging wirelessly. 
Um, and that has been true only for about a week. Mm. Um, my wife, um, who is a voracious reader, um, and I don't want to say just destroyer of Kindles, but <laughs> she, she wears them out. I mean, she, yeah. she uses them so heavily that they, they get worn out. Uh, our, her new Kindle, uh, is one that has a wireless charging stand and is charging wirelessly. And yeah, it's darned convenient. Um, so I think this actually dovetails into your next point though as yeah. well, because I think that that's also part of the motivation for uh, trying to come up with some kind of a standard for charging, whether it be USB-C or wireless or something else. And that is, I've got a bucket of chargers in my mm -hmm. basement. Mm -hmm because of all the devices I've gone through, through the years, the device wears out, it gets recycled, it gets destroyed, it gets whatever, but the charger remains. Why do I need a new charger with every device that I get? Yeah. Well, um, and I, I mean, I do see it as sort of a chicken and, egg, chicken and egg kind of thing. I mean, right now it's not that you need a charger. It's that you need the right charger. All right. But if every charger were the same, if every requirement was the same, then any charger would be the right charger. And I think that that's what they're what they're trying to move towards. It's almost like the, uh, such a port would be universal with a capital U. Yes. <laughs> like yes. USB, which is what it's meant to be, right? Uh, you know, it's interesting. This is a weird topic. A lot of people feel very passionate about this in one direction or the other. Mm -hmm. I think you and I both agree that, you know, we've got tons of ways to connect a cable to a USB power source, oh, right? Yes. Tons of blocks. I've got, I'm looking at a power strip here that come, that has two USB ports on it. I'm looking at, I have power outlets throughout my house that I have mm -hmm. upgraded uh, to have USB as well as AC power. I've simply it's just to do been, that yep. yeah i've done that on a number of you know a couple of them have been i've been re, i've replaced them oh something's wrong with this one it's an old mm -hmm. house and i'm like well if i'm going to replace it i'm going to sure. do, do it you know usb uh we had a room in the house redone and i was like huh, how much did these things cost 20 bucks a piece how many other you know just make them all usb <laughs> you <Right>. know <laughs> so we've got lit i literally have like 16 usb ports in a room for no reason other than, well, if, you, if I'm buying new, uh, you know, power uh, things, then I might as well get them with USB. Um, unfortunately, they're USB-A because it was many years ago. Um, so, yes, the problem with that, actually, that leads yeah. in, into an interesting problem because it's also a hesitation on, on my part, is that those ports will work only for charging only certain devices. They won't work for your laptop, for example. Well, they will. I mean, just that it depends if your laptop will accept any charging rate so like my like apple stuff mm -hmm. my laptop will i could plug in the weakest you know charger to it and it'll right, lose but... power faster than i'll use it if i'm actually like using it exactly. but if i let it sit overnight it's 100 percent in the morning really even though it's doing it's it's like it's five <laughs> watts yeah it'll charge really slowly and if i open it up it'll be like hey i'm not charging i'm actually losing but if i close it put it to sleep with it connected it'll charge up overnight and um the same thing with my iphone and my ipad they'll charge up but very slowly which right. if you're going to sleep usually there's enough time anyway right. um anyway yeah there's different ones you get it the the point is that that a lot of us have tons of things in the wall or tons of uh, power bricks all over the place that have USB and are, mm -hmm. are ready to go. All we need is the cable to connect 
to the device. And if you switch to USB-C, I may not even really need the cables. So the idea of getting an iPhone like they come now where they don't give you a charging brick with it mm -hmm. um, is great. Don't give me another one. I got so many of them. Right. Um, and I'm going to do it wireless anyway. So I'm going to you know, hook it up uh, to my wireless one that I already have and it already has its own charging brick. Um, so I feel passionately don't put it in there, you know, and it's an environmental thing. I've got tons of electronic waste. I mean, you and I probably have the whole recycling issue where I've got tons of stuff. I don't know how to get rid so of so much. Yes. It's like, oh, this has got, yeah, there's a little battery in this. And they, so I can't, I mean, what do I do with it? And then, you know, you get charged 10 bucks if you take it here, but I've got boxes full of the stuff, you know, so you end up with lots of issues with that. And then um, other people, on the other hand, feel very passionately the other way. Right. They're like, don't you dare sell me a, a phone that doesn't have a charger in it. I'm paying all this money, $1,000 for a new iPhone, and you're going to make me spend extra money for a charger. And they feel very passionately that way. Matter of fact, the entire nation of Brazil, they passed a law, <laughs> right? They have a national law saying if you sell a phone, it has to have a brand new charger in it or you can't sell it. And Apple said, that's not right. We're not going to do it. And Brazil said, okay, iPhones are banned and Apple's now appealing and we'll see what actually happens there. Now, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. I mean, I get, you feel passionate about, you know, oh, I, you know, I pull this money. I want this, but I mean, uh, seriously, oh, you have no, you have no, nothing you could plug that into, or you spending a thousand dollars for an iPhone and you don't want to spend 20 bucks for a charger. You know I what? I I would actually wonder if there's a there's another option, mm -hmm. and that is simply this. We all know that buying an iPhone is, um, it's not a checkbox; it's a process. You end up making some decisions along the way. So, what if one of those decisions were to, yeah, give me a power brick or don't, mm -hmm. and because power bricks, they're so cheap, um, have it be a no cost option. In other yeah. words, you know, let let the customer decide whether or not they want one. I'm pretty convinced that there are a lot of people in in our shoes who would absolutely say, you know what, even if it costs me nothing, don't send me one. Just don't. I have plenty. Um, and there will be other people who who say, you know, yeah, yeah, I really do need one. I don't have one for this phone, or I don't have enough, or I want another one for flexibility or mm -hmm, whatever. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's going to be a minority that says, ooh, something free, give it to me. Yeah. But um but I think that that might be the 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 best compromise of all. Um letting the customer make the choice and um you know the the expense of the charger is so small compared to the phone uh from Apple's perspective that it just seems like that part at least would be a no-brainer. Maybe if they coupled that with a like not at the at the point of purchase kind of thing. Like you buy your iPhone and it's like, you can get a free charger, but number one, they don't tell you that, right? They're not going to just say, here it is. Number two, they don't give it to you right there. It's the kind of thing like you register, okay, go and register your phone and there's going to be a button, power charging options. And you go into that button and you can fill out a little form saying, yes, please send me my free charger for this iPhone. Mm -hmm. And then they send it out, which would lower the cost even more, right? Because it could be some sort of mail distribution service and all that. I see. This sounds familiar, so I'm thinking there's some other 
industry that does something like this. Mm -hmm. But also for people that are on the fence that are like, well, if you're going to hand me one when I'm at the Apple store, you know, all I have to do is say, okay, and you hand me one, then I'm going to say, yeah, give it to me. It's a free thing. Give it to me. But if I have to you know, go home and, and wait like a couple of days for it to arrive, eh, for, yeah, forget it. I'm fine. Come through a hoop, I, yeah. yeah. I, I, I like that. And also it will give Apple the opportunity to do something like uh, only one per person. Sure. Sure. So, you know, and if they change, if they say, you know, four years from now, it's a different, it's like, oh, we went from 18 watts and now we have a 30 watch charger. Then it's going to be like, okay, it resets. Everybody gets a free 30 watt charger if they ask for it. But if you get an iPhone and the next year you get an iPhone and you already used your app ID to say, yeah, send me a free 18 watt charger. They go and they say, oh, no, no, no. We already sent you one. And because you, you don't need two. Right. So, and, and then maybe that will cut down on some waste. It'll be a compromise. And then maybe it'll also be a way to collect data to go back and say, how much did we save? Like, what, what was the environmental impact? Right. Uh, maybe even survey people afterwards and say, did you buy it because, you know, you wanted an extra one or did you buy it because you honestly had no other way to charge this phone if we didn't give you one? And then they can come back with that data and say, OK, in future years, we're going to change based on the data. Right. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. There is, mm -hmm. Yeah. There's another aspect I wanted to mention. Mm hmm which is more in the in the ways of like almost anything could get political and sometimes the least <laughs> like the you know when you totally don't expect it i did a short video a youtube short actually on a new feature of uh, ios 16.1 called the uh, iphone uh, clean energy charging okay here's what the feature does if you turn it on in your iphone and it is on by default um your iphone will learn your charging habits and if it recognizes a pattern such as this, you charge your iPhone all night, but you also attach it to a charger during the day. Like, for instance, maybe at your desk, you just hook it up mm -hmm. and you don't use the battery enough that it's necessary to charge during the day. Mm -hmm. It will then look at a database of, uh, of emissions for power in your area. So like for me, for Denver, I assume there's some data somewhere saying that the the power plants go in, you know, produce more emissions during the day than they do at night. And, you know, here's the schedule or whatever. And it will just not charge your phone during the day. So you you don't do anything different. You plug it in at night, it charges up at night. The day you maybe put it on the magnetic charger while you're at your desk. And instead of charging, it says, nope, I'm not going to do it. It actually shows you a notification. Hey, I'm not going to charge right now because you're fine. And, you know, it's part of the clean energy initiative. And you can actually say, no, no, I, yeah, tap here. I want you to charge because, you know, you're planning on doing something later in that day and you want to get it fully charged. But if you just leave it, just do its own thing, it won't charge during the day or whenever emissions are high. With the idea being that that sounds tiny, but it's on by default. And if you think of all of the iPhones in all of the cities around the world, and you think, oh, okay, that could be, a, you know, a non-zero amount of energy savings. Um, and I, to me, it sounds like a good idea. Um, but of course, just like the whole political thing is like, I didn't expect to get anybody really saying anything on that video other than, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, but I got a few people saying, oh, that's, you know, BS and all this.
Interesting. It's yeah. funny because I have a similar setting. I'm just looking right now on my um, my Google Pixel phone. Yeah. And um, it does have what it calls adaptive uh, charging. Mm -hmm. So it is, in fact, adjusting how it charges based on my usage. And yes, my battery these days lasts, some days it lasts almost two days because yeah. I'm not doing much with the phone. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, if I, if I, if it's charged to hundred percent in the morning and I go to bed, um, it's still at 85% or 80%. It just doesn't need to do that much. Uh, so presumably it's doing something appropriate in response to that, but there are definitely other days where, yeah, you know, I really do need that hundred percent in the morning because I'm just wailing on the phone all day long. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and there are other things, you know, it's similar to other things. Like, for instance, here in my city, they switch to uh, different billing rates uh, for electricity during different times of the day. Um, so they tell you, hey, you know, if you want to save energy, you know, uh, run your dishwasher and washing machine at night. I was going to say, do your laundry at night. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and we act, and actually are both those machines have delay start buttons right that i i i actually like to use before because you know especially with a dishwasher you know because as soon as you start the dishwasher what happens five minutes later you recognize the cup of you know the cup of coffee that was sitting on the <laughs> the table right oh i forgot that and then there's a spoon in the sink you didn't see and you're like ah all right but you know so if you put it on delay start and have it start in the middle of the night you could just keep adding things to it until you go to bed right and then, of course, if you don't have delay start and you add things to it, you always forget to hit the start button before you could. Right. So I use delay start just for like the convenience. But it also is good to know that, hey, I'm running, I'm doing my dishes at 3 a.m., right, where it's probably the most efficient, not only for me in terms of my energy bill, but probably for the the city and for the emissions and all that. It's interesting. That's also one of the, um, I don't know if it was an anticipated use or not, but uh, the Tesla Powerwall. Is, mm, yes. is you can also program to do that kind of thing. It was originally intended or originally marketed as a way to store solar energy through the day so that you can basically be less reliant on uh, the infra uh, you know, your infrastructure. But um, it also is a way of saying, you know what? Charge overnight and run the house as much as makes sense during the day and then charge overnight when, when the prices are low. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense to me and you could turn it off, but I just, I just don't understand the couple of comments I got of yes. people like claiming it was somehow <laughs> It's like, a conspiracy. Everything's uh, yeah. a conspiracy. It's like, it just what? Is. What do you, what? <laughs> I don't, I don't even, I don't understand. I mean, it's just engineering, isn't it? I mean, it's just, you know, things Tell me where the feature efficiency. hurt you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Tell me it's, you know, peak it, thing, it, machines and processes and generators and have efficiencies and they operate within certain zones and you know that you you probably know that your area, you know, if you're going to have power outages in a hot summer day, it's going to be in the middle of the afternoon or in the winter, you know, when most people are using the most power, the most lights, the most equipment, all of that stuff. I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. So on to another topic, you've been, uh, I've been working playing with on video. video. Uh, yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, I think, well, I noticed, for example, over the last couple of maybe week or so, you've been publishing a bunch of videos on, um, doing video editing actually, um, on your Mac mm -hmm. with, um, um, what's it called? Oh, final cut. Final cut. Thank you. Well, actually, yeah, no, I was just, uh, yeah, that's a long story, but yeah, you talk about my final cut pro course. Ah, yep. okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, anyway, I saw them and it dawned on me that, um, Final Cut and your demonstration of it, 
perhaps maybe, gosh, it'd probably be a decade ago now, um, is what actually caused me to buy my first Mac. That's right. I remember. Because Final Cut had this really interesting feature um, that would automatically synchronize multiple video sources based on the audio. And it allowed you to have like one source with really good audio and then do all sorts of um, uh, venue or uh, perspective shifts, uh, you know, different camera shifts mm -hmm. um, throughout a video without having to switch to the crappy audio that came from halfway across the room, that kind of thing. Anyway, I just thought it was neat. And, and you know, I guess, sure, I'm sure it was just an excuse, a rationalization for me to buy a, for me to buy a Mac. <laughs> um, I did end up using Final Cut uh, for quite some time doing random things. But then I ended up using Camtasia. Camtasia yeah. is ultimately marketed as a screen recorder that you that comes with a video editor. And its market is literally that instructional stuff, the kind of stuff that you and I actually do. I mean, we're often recording the screen, showing people what we're doing. Um, the video editor makes it fairly easy to throw in call outs and to do zooms and to do pictures and pictures and mm -hmm. all the kinds of things you want to do for tutorial videos. However, um, I've, I've, I've fallen, I don't want to say out of love with Camtasia because it still is really a, a reasonably good product, but, um, its performance on my machine has just been uber disappointing. Um, I've got, you know, like a 16 core processor. Um, I've got 64 gigabytes of Ram. And as far as I can tell, the Camtasia editor doesn't use any of that. Um, as far as I can tell, it's still a single threaded, single core tool mm. that, that, um, anyway, anyway, so I, over the past couple of years, literally, cause I've been waiting for them to, to, you know what, this multi-core thing, it's going to catch on. We should use multiple cores. Um, and apparently they haven't for whatever reason, um, it's just become more and more disappointing. Mm. So, um, now to be fair, uh, the, the videos that I produce for Ask Leo, uh, they're recorded using um, OBS, Open Broadcast Studio, I think it's called. Okay. Um, but um, I hand off the raw video to Connie, who also edits this podcast, and she does all of her editing work in Camtasia. And it's working for her. It's great. The results are good. You know, happy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like dumping Camtasia. But I am using the opportunity to do a little bit of uh, education myself on alternate tools. And what I've been playing with lately for, uh, I mentioned last week that I've got a course coming up myself and I'm doing, uh, certainly for the first round of this course, I'm doing all the video editing myself. I'm using DaVinci Resolve. Mm. And DaVinci Resolve, the problem with video editing tools and the reason that even with DaVinci Resolve being the super, super cool tool, mm -hmm. um, is video editing is complicated. Mm -hmm. It just is. There's a lot to it. And one of Camtasia's editor's features, if you will, is that it actually makes a lot of the common things that you and I do for instructional videos relatively easy. Um, it's not that those things are difficult to do. It's my, my concern with Camtasia is not that those things are difficult to do. It's that it's slow and clunky at doing them, literally the processing time. 
Um, DaVinci Resolve has been wonderfully smooth. And yes, when I, you know, actually produce an MP4 or an MOV, um, yep, yep, the processor's all spike. It's going through, um, you know, what it needs to do to make things happen. Uh, but what's neat about it, um, it is super, super full featured. It has more features than you and I or anybody would want. Um, and that's just the free version, which is actually kind of cool because it makes it a very viable solution for a lot of people for a lot of different things uh, where they really, you know, they need a serious video editor um, that has, has lots of features and they don't necessarily need to spend either a subscription or a one-time fee. Now I did dive in. I do have DaVinci um, Resolve Studio, which is their paid product, mm -hmm. um, but it's a one-time thing. Um, and, you know, the usual after that updates for life. The interesting thing about DaVinci, if you take a look at their site, it's pretty clear that DaVinci Resolve is and isn't their bread and butter. And I say that because clearly the software is important to them, but not for the, for people like me, right? It's almost like they have this whole other business selling hardware and software to professional filmmakers and TV shows and that kind of stuff. A lot of the stuff you and I are watching in movie theaters and on, on TV and so forth are actually being edited in DaVinci Resolve. Adobe Premiere is the other big one, and I'm sure there's other, other tools as well. But DaVinci Resolve is actually in that market. But the good news is that this really powerful software is available for you and I to, to play with and to use. It is cross-platform. It'll do Macs and, and PCs um, and Linux, I think, they, which I haven't played with yet. But um, anyway, I'm just finding it a lot of, of fun to, to dive back in. I'm finding it interesting to, uh, to do things, a few things that I couldn't do easily in Camtasia or things that I have a little bit more control over. Just one example um, in uh, audio processing, one of the things you kind of like to do is uh, make sure that audio levels are consistent. By that, I mean that if you've got two people talking and one of them is not as loud as the other, or someone has a tendency to drift off in the way they speak, uh, the volume is adjusted to be more, um, more flat, more equal across the entire range of, of the video. And there are tools, uh, it's typically called compression, that, uh, that do that. Uh, Camtasia has one, but it's fairly limited in how it works. Uh, naturally, the one that's in DaVinci Resolve is incredibly powerful. And the other thing that's really neat about DaVinci Resolve is whenever I, you know, whenever I forget how to do something or whenever I wanna learn how to do something, I pop over to YouTube and yeah. there's like a ton of people showing me not just how to do the thing, but how to do almost exactly what it is I'm trying to do, <laughs> which makes my life a whole lot easier um, as I'm trying to produce these things. So I wanted to just sort of mention that and, and you know, say, you know, thanks, Mac and Final Cut for, for being there when I needed you. And thanks, Camtasia. Uh, for for enabling so many of the videos that that I've produced on Ask Leo and beyond, uh, but I'm very slowly moving on to something that seems more powerful and and obviously you could probably tell from the sound of my voice a little bit more fun. Hmm. Yeah, I've you know I'm often uh, well actually I've played around a little bit with DaVinci Resolve and it's often mentioned when um, somebody's talking about okay you know here's something 
how do I do this in iMovie? And I say, well, you can't do that in iMovie. Uh, Final Cut Pro can do it. And then <laughs> right. somebody will come in and say, well, you, but you could also do it in DaVinci Resolve. Right. Um, so it's as good, you know, kind of like it do definitely does more than iMovie does on the Mac. No doubt about it. But uh, and not as much as Final Cut Pro, although I DaVinci Resolve Studio may be comparable for most things. I'm not sure. I'm pretty um, sure they're they're on a part. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Final Cut, DaVinci Resolve Studio and um, Adobe Premiere, the other big one. They're all they're um, all they're on probably par all on a par. I mean, obviously, they're going to be you know nits. But um, yeah, but yeah, by and large. Yeah, so it's definitely good to have that uh, to have that other option there. I mean, that is the the answer to the question of what else is there? iMovie, Final Cut Pro, and Premiere. What else is there for the Mac? And the, and the big answer is that DaVinci Resolve is the next thing you should check out. And uh, maybe the after that, that, Blender, if you've ever... Blender? Blender, which is, you know, this app that does like... Pretty much if somebody asks, how do I do something really complex on my computer and you don't know the answer, just say Blender because probably something in blender does it. <laughs> it it's this you know it's a free open source extremely complex app that does like 3d modeling and visual effects and 2d animation and video editing i mean there's like all this stuff in there it's like every time i even open it to go and say well let me look at it maybe i'll do a video here no it's too much <laughs> it does so much here so, be dragons yes yeah exactly the, the other thing that's changed in the landscape a lot, especially for Windows, um, yeah. it's changed a little bit for, for Mac too, because you've actually got some, you know, like iMovie, you've got a good consumer level tool. Yeah. The consumer level tools on the Windows side have had a rocky history. And I believe that there are some tools out there that are good for some basic video editing um, where, you know, all you, you don't want to do any of this fancy compression or titles or, you know, super duper fancy fades. All you really want to do is be able to um, like edit out the embarrassing part of your video, maybe throw a few stickers on it and so forth. Um, I think there are tools out there now that are much more consumer friendly than there used to be. Mm. I just don't know what they are because that's not the place I'm playing in right now. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. It is hard to keep track of a lot of the, uh, of the different saw and especially when there's uh you know i when i say niche i don't really mean you know people think well video editing is a niche that's mainstream but i mean it's a niche right i mean mm -hmm. there's some people that do not use their computers for any video editing at all right, right. there's some people that use them all day long for that and it's true for other things i mean i definitely get people when i do a, a spreadsheet um tutorial comments that make me think that people haven't seen spreadsheets before there are some people that haven't right. and other people that say how is that possible i live in spreadsheets <laughs> you know it's my whole life is working in spreadsheets you know so um it completely, is completely completely off topic but that yeah. just cracks me up because literally like moments before we started recording the podcast today i was doing some research on how do i make regular expression search and replace work in excel uh, <laughs> there you go <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's interesting, and it is um, it, it is, and if you ever want to actually like uh, one of the best places to go to look for people that are in niches so deep that they don't realize that other people don't even know what they're talking about, it's uh, it's Reddit. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Reddit's a great because you know you get in there and there'll be people really passionate about like you said regular expressions that'll be like talking about regular expressions like doesn't everybody know regular expressions no yep. you know at least a basic rudimentary knowledge of it no most people don't even know what that is any problem can be solved with an appropriate regular expression exactly <laughs> um, so you know yeah yep yep 
anyway uh yeah. so oh and the um uh, gosh there was something else i was going to mention and now it's completely flown never mind mm. so anyway like i said video editing pretty cool oh and that's what it was the other thing that's happening in the video space mm. and i'm wondering what the downstream effects are going to be we are training a new generation of video editors yeah and they're all learning how to do their video editing in TikTok. <laughs> yes. Because ultimately, TikTok is a video recorder mm -hmm. with a bunch of apparently fairly nifty video editing tools that mm -hmm. clipping and, and, you know, cutting out the embarrassing part and throwing on the stickers. Yeah, that's all stuff you can do within TikTok. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what skills those folks are learning and then what they will do with them once they... Uh, they enter the, uh, the quote unquote real world. I'm hoping we actually see an evolution of some of these tools. Like, I mean, you know, th those that use TikTok to edit or Instagram too has some tools in it. Uh, they, you know, they expect to be able to do something like throw an emoji up right on the screen, like, you know, right on the video at a point for a couple seconds and then right. take it away. That should be right. something easy, basic. And right. of course, no, it not not in most video editing apps. You can it's, do it, but it's not easy and basic. So the question is, do we see like in a future update to these tools? Right. Making that I've seen Adobe doing Adobe Adobe does a thing where they have like a million products that you've never heard of. Yes. You know, if you if you look at what's there, it's like you think, okay, Adobe it's Illustrator, Photoshop, Premiere. And um, somehow no, they, they all work like, together in ways we don't understand. Yeah, yeah. They have 30 other ones. Just take any any single word and then put, <laughs> you know, Adobe in front of it. And it's like a product that they've got. Adobe Elements, Adobe, you know, Audition, Adobe, whatever. And and they they actually are very good at throwing a lot of those cool features into some of these tools, if you know which tool to use. Um, but Apple's not really good. Apple has a tool, a video editing tool that almost nobody knows about called Clips. That's a free app on your iPhone, just for the iPhone. I don't even think they have it for the iPad. And it's not on the Mac. And it's a very TikTok-like video editing tool with a whole bunch of weird features in it. And Apple makes this thing. And it's been around for several years on the iPhone, yet none of those really cool, interesting features have made their way over into iMovie. Right. And it's like, why not? Exactly. You know, yep. if, if, you did, if Apple did nothing else to iMovie but take the features in clips and just threw them into iMovie, people would go nuts over iMovie again. So anyway. <laughs> well, that actually is a wonderful segue because that's all been pretty cool. The video stuff is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. What else is cool, Gary? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so for our Ain't It Cool segment, uh, just the last book I read was an interesting history book called The Women Who Wrote the War. I have a link to that, and it's about uh, women uh, war correspondents in World War II, which was an interesting intersection of, uh, you know, women just, you know, be, before the war, being able to be journalists uh, in a male-dominated field, and then the war broke out or started to break out. And these women, instead of saying, oh, okay, we'll leave it up to the men, said, no, we're reporting. We're going to Germany. We're going to the Pacific. We're going everywhere. And we're going to report the outbreak of war. We're going to report from you know the troops, all of this stuff. And we're not talking about like you know three or four women. There's dozens and dozens of women in, in this book. And you read their fascinating stories and, uh, and amazing things that they, they did. 
I mean, you know, the, the description, if, even if you're not interested in the overall topic, just the descriptions of what journalists would do in World War II, you know, hopping onto bombers that were on bomber missions that could very likely get shot down and just hanging out with their cameras and taking pictures of people, uh, you know, getting into troop ships that were under attack by submarines and, you know, uh, abandoning ship into lifeboats and photographing it and interviewing people while, while the ship's going down. It's just amazing amazing stuff uh so a, a really good book I, yeah. I actually got into it you know there was that ken burns series on um uh, uh the united states and the holocaust right that was on and one of the uh things that they showed there was they showed uh a woman dorothy thompson uh reporting uh you know basically the the uh, nazification of germany in the 1930s and she seemed like a fascinating character and I wondered if there was a book about her. And I did a search and came up with this book, which definitely covers her and lots and lots of other uh, women journalists uh, and photographers and everything during World War II. So that's how I ended up there. Cool. Hmm? I had recommended to me by one of the authors that I read regularly about a month ago, this book, it's called The Expectation Effect. It's by David Robinson. I'm I think literally halfway through it. I think my little Kindle percentage indicator is at 50%. Um, I am finding it absolutely fascinating. And what it really boils down to is our expectations of things affect those things much more deeply mm. than, uh, we, uh, than we understand. And once we do understand we can put that to use uh, the 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 classic scenario that that's described early on in the book is this kind of all sounds like the placebo effect right i mean it's it's like uh -huh. it works because we expect it to work um and in a sense that's very very true what's weird about the placebo effect is that it works often even if you know that it's a placebo what the heck is going on right what mm. <laughs> how can it possibly work if you know that it's fake um, the, the mind's involvement in exactly uh, setting your expectations and then having those expectations either explicitly, consciously, or subconsciously actually affect everything from your energy level to your, um, your, your efficiency at digesting food to how quickly you will or won't heal. I just find it incredibly fascinating. And it's a, it's a really, it's a very interesting book. It's the expectation effect, David Robinson, as always um, links in the show notes. Neat. Uh, in terms of self-promotion um, this week, I would like to point everybody at the one thing every non-technical person needs to know. And to be honest, technical people need to know it as well. It's askleo.com slash seven, four, seven, nine, nine. Nope. I'm not going to spoil it. Oh, intriguing. It is just oh. one thing. It's one very, very simple thing, and it's probably not what you think. Okay. Um, I, I'll just share something much more pedestrian. There's a new feature in uh, <laughs> iOS 16.1, iPadOS 16.1, and macOS Ventura, which is the new iCloud shared photo library, which finally lets you have one library like between you and your spouse, for instance, where you take pictures she takes pictures. They all go into one iCloud library instead of, you know, her having to bug you and say, oh, send me those pictures from our right. last trip. I haven't, yeah. you know, all that. So that's a, a, a video I've got on how to use that. Very cool. 
I think that pretty much wraps us up for another week. The show notes are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh175. If you've got a comment or a question, by all means, leave a comment on that page. We see them. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.